needing strength for my journey, I knelt at the cross where Jesus once died for me. And I asked, is this the place where hope abides? And this he said to me, Behold, the cross is a tomb that is empty. You won't find me there anymore. And behold, the tomb is life everlasting and hope forevermore. Then I sought reassurance and I went to the tomb, to the place where his body once laid. And I cried, Lord, help me see is there hope here for me? And this I heard him say. Behold, the cross is a tomb that is empty. You won't find me there anymore. And behold, the tomb is life everlasting and hope forevermore. And behold, the cross is a tomb that is empty. You won't find me there anymore. And beyond the tomb is life everlasting and hope preach after that. Amen. Wow. That's something. I like that one. Aren't you glad he's alive evermore? Man, he's not dead, is he? Well, all these other faiths, all these other religions, man, they claim to be spot on, but the only problem is their founders are still in that grave. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen. Amen. He's alive forevermore. Well, tonight we are glad once again to have with us Brother booth and i'm not going to even try to remember his first name you know i'm teasing i know it i just yeah okay so anyway brother tim booth is with us tonight and again evangelist and uh like i say he's pastored before he's a co uh like i say co-director at the football camp and just doing a great job preaching around the country wasn't that a fabulous fabulous message this morning man spot on wasn't it right on the money well tonight we're looking forward to hearing from him again brother booth you come preach for us would you please Thank you again, preacher. I appreciate the opportunity. I want to thank you for the very nice room I'm in. And, and uh, there's a little basket in there of goodies for me and some, some water. I borrowed water from you, preacher, but there's already water up there. So that was a blessing. I appreciate the thoughtfulness for that. And uh, pastor took me out to, to eat. Uh, we ate some Mexican food this afternoon, so I'm on fire for the Lord. <laughs> Amen. It was wonderful. And and, and enjoyed it, and it was good to hear Pastor eat again. And, uh, 
I enjoy the fellowship. I like to talk to men that love the Lord. And uh, you're blessed to have the pastor you have. You ought to thank God every single day of your life for the pastor you have. If you traveled as much as I travel, trust me, you'd thank God for the pastor you have. And, uh, man, it's, uh, I always enjoy being with him. I always uh, enjoy. I like men that are for real. And that's, that's a blessing. And I appreciate your pastor coming these years. He's been coming to help at football camp. Uh, he's, he's a really excellent coach. He really is. And uh, I think he's starting to get a little bit outcoached by his sons. But, uh, but they're a blessing, too. They come and help. And, and, uh, and Brother Steve Cavanaugh. Where's, where's Brother Steve tonight? He's hiding? Yeah. Appreciate it. Brother Steve is actually one of our best cheerleading coaches. <laughs> I'm sorry, brother. I couldn't resist. <laughs> oh, I appreciate those fellows coming and helping us, though. It's, a, it's really a blessing. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to be with you today. And uh, thank, thank you, Pastor, for allowing me to come in today. And I want you to open your Bibles tonight to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. The Lord's been awful good to my wife and I. We, uh, at this point, we have 18 grandchildren. And so, uh, please pray for us. Christmas is coming. <laughs> so, so we'll we'll take out a loan again and <laughs> try to make it through. Uh, but they're fun. You never know what they're going to say, do you? And my little granddaughter, who's six, uh, she's my oldest son's daughter, and her name's Kylie. Kylie was sitting on my lap uh, a couple weeks back, and and uh, she was showing me a video. You know, and, and she was really enamored with this little video of a, a lady that was making uh, uh, cupcakes and, a, and cakes, you know. And so she said, Papa, you've got to see this. And so she's showing me this, and, and uh, we're watching it together. And all of a sudden, she turned around, she looked at me, and she said, Papa, don't you just love sugar? <laughs> I said, I really do, and it shows. Amen. <laughs> They're a lot of fun. That has nothing to do with the message. I just like to tell it. Romans chapter 8 in your Bible. You know, we, it is customary if you've done much Bible study that you know that the Apostle Paul, the books that he recorded for us, he, he always instructs us first in doctrine and then duty. You know, it's not just about what you know, it's what you do with what you know. And Paul always gives us the proper doctrine for our, our belief and basis to be right. And then he, he challenges about our duty or responsibility because of that. And you know, we, one of our theme songs at football camp is we sing, I'm on the winning side. And I want to tell you something, Christian. If you're saved tonight, you're on the winning side. We know that from the Word of God. You're on the winning side. And I'm thankful to know as a child of God there is nothing so powerful in this world that can conquer me if I'm walking in the Spirit of God. And, and, and yet it saddens me because I grew up in church. I've been around Baptists all my life. And it saddens me to see how many folks that are saved live so defeated. 
when we know that scripturally we are on the winning side. But how do we live that victory? The Bible says that Jesus came to give life and that life more abundant. But we don't see it a lot. How do we live in that victory? Well, the Apostle Paul really gives us a clue here, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses in depth, but we're going to look at, at several other verses. But let's go back to Romans chapter 7 first to kind of lay the groundwork here, where Paul really gives a transparent testimony. And he really shares a very honest battle that he deals with that all of us can relate to. In verse 14 he says, but, uh, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's a pretty strong statement there, sold under sin. Paul said, I know that I'm carnal, I'm sold under sin. You know, when something is sold, it really gives us the connotation or the, the mental picture of a slave being sold. And he's saying, my old nature has been sold to sin. There's been a different owner takeover. It began in the Garden of Eden. We know that. Romans 5.12 says, but wherefore is... Uh, 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 we, oh, man, I'm going to misquote it. Let's go there real quick. We're writing Romans. Romans 5.12. I looked over there and I, I saw Caleb and it got me all messed up. It said, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So we know that, that because of Adam's sin, it's been passed on to us. And Paul said... You know, my, my old carnal nature is sold under sin. He goes on in verse, uh, uh, there in chapter 7 and, and verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more that I, I, uh, I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now you ought to underline that in your Bible. Oprah doesn't believe that. But it is in the Bible. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not. But the evil which I, I would not, that I do. Now if I do... That I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that, is pre uh, that, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. Man, can't you relate to that? Paul, even the great apostle Paul said, you know, just I have this ongoing battle. He's just being real transparent. And you know, it would be good for all of us Baptists to take our halos off tonight. And just get real honest with the Lord. We have a battle with this old wicked flesh. And Paul said, man, it's just the things I know I, I want to do and I don't do them. And things I don't want to do, I end up doing them. And he said there's this ongoing battle. In Galatians, Paul said the spirit and the flesh are contrary the one to another. There's this ongoing battle. So what do we do as Christians? Give up? Justify our sin because everybody has the problem? God forbid. That's not God's intent. And Paul moves from his testimony in, in chapter 7 into chapter 8 where he gives us the answer. And in chapter 8, he mentions the Spirit of God 19 times. Prior to that, it's only, he only mentions the Holy Spirit one time in the, in the book of Romans. And he's telling us that we must walk in the Spirit and not give in to the, 
to, to the, the wickedness of our old flesh. You know, Richard Baxter, an old-time writer in 1656, and I'll paraphrase it, but he basically said this, we need to take heed lest we practice sin that we condemn in others. And I'm telling you, across independent fundamental Baptist circles, that's all I preach in, and across independent fundamental Baptist churches, you find a whole lot of people, we know how to put on the dog, don't we? And we know how to look right, we know the right words to say, but something else is going on inside. And I'm weary, to be honest with you, I'm weary of our young people growing up, being in Christian homes, going to Christian school or homeschooled, and sacrifices being made to send them to camps, and sacrifices being made to, to send them to youth conferences, and then they get to be 18 or 19 and they turn their back on the Lord. And the Bible gives us the answer for us to walk in victory. In Romans chapter 8, if you'll go down to verse 12, these are the two verses we're going to focus in on tonight. He says in verse 12, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. I want to preach tonight on the key to victory. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Our Heavenly Father, we need you tonight. And I confess to you, Lord, I'm far from what anybody would need. But Lord, you're everything we need. And we ask you please tonight to help us. I don't know the needs of, of anybody here tonight, Lord, but you know the need of everybody. And so I'm asking the Holy Spirit that you'd be in charge tonight. And I know you tell us in your word, Spirit of God, that you blow where you list it. I'm asking you, would you tonight manifest yourself here and work in our hearts as we look at truth from your holy inspired word. Help our hearts to be open. Help us to be humble enough to be honest with you, to take your truth to heart. God, we pray that somebody's life would be changed because of your truth tonight. We love you and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to see in these couple of verses the real key to victorious living. And notice, first of all, in verse 12, the people that are available for this victory. The people that are available. Did you notice it said brethren? Man, I love that term. Isn't that a wonderful term? Brethren. You know, it's an affectionate family term. But it, it also it encompasses equality in the family. Brethren. I mean, that's what we are. Do you know there's no big shots in God's economy? Amen. You know, really, I'm a little weary of everybody getting so overwhelmed. Oh, Dr. So-and-so and Dr. So-and-so. And, you know, I mean, we're all just servants of the Lord. And, and I understand you give to honor to whom honor do, is due. I, I appreciate that. But I want you to understand your pastor holds a very, a very important responsibility and calling as a pastor. I hold an important responsibility and calling as an evangelist. But we're still just servants. That's all we are. We're just brethren. And when the Lord addresses here, he doesn't say this is available just for pastors or this is available just for evangelists. He said, therefore, brethren, anybody that's in the family, brethren, it doesn't matter whether you got saved when you were six or when you, if you got saved when you were 60. If you're brethren, this is for you. It's available for all of God's people that are brethren. Everybody in the family. Doesn't matter what your past is. Doesn't matter how intelligent you are. Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> it doesn't matter how much talent and gifts you have. 
It's all of us that are brethren. It's available for those who are brethren. But understand this tonight, folks. It's not available for those who are religious but lost. It's just available for brethren, those that are in the family. Not long ago, I was, I was home uh, from meetings, and, and uh, I was in our, our home church. I, my home church is in Center, Texas. And uh, my pastor is Brother Danny Dodson. And, and uh, Brother Dodson preached a message on a Sunday night, and uh, the title of it was just real good Texas talk. And the title of his sermon was, if you don't get it, maybe you don't got it. <laughs> That's really pretty good theology. And he preached out of 1 Corinthians 2.14 where it says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they're spiritually discerned. And he said, you know, the problem is we've got a whole lot of folks sitting in church. You want to fuss and fight about the most non-essential little issues. And he said, the preacher gets up and preaches about separation. And, oh, I don't know, why is the preacher got to make an issue about... And, or, you know, and he said, the problem is, a lot of you aren't getting it because you never got it. You see, the truth is, folks, until the Spirit of God lives within here, you can't connect spiritual dots. They don't make sense to you. Tithing doesn't make a lot of sense to you. You know, it, un, until the Spirit of God lives within you... If you don't get it, maybe you don't got it. I remember I was pastoring in Louisiana and, and uh, a lady that got right with the Lord in our church and really got on fire for the Lord. I led her husband to Christ and the kids to the Lord. And her one older daughter uh, was in her, her middle, late 20s. And she was a mess. And she would come to church about two times out of the year, but you know how this preacher, she'd say, tell everybody that was her church and I was her pastor, you know. And every once in a while she'd come in, I pastor, I need counsel. And she'd sit down and, oh, this is happening, this problem's happening, this problem's happening. And I, I looked at her and said, Denise, do you understand these are spiritual problems? This is, happens because of your lack of the relationship with the Lord. And she looked at me and she said, but pastor, I love the Lord. I said, Denise, you work in a bar. <laughs> she said, but we talk about the Lord. You want to find a wall and just... <laughs> the problem is she couldn't connect spiritual dots because she didn't have it. It didn't make sense to her. And I'm convinced we got a lot of folks sitting in independent Baptist pews or chairs that are sitting in their Sunday after Sunday. They can tell you the Romans road, but there's never been anything happening here. They're not brethren. This isn't available for everybody, just brethren. Those that are part of the family. And there's a lot of folks struggling up and down, up and down, up and down, up, up and down all their life, and they can't figure it out. Maybe the problem is you never got saved. You never got it to begin with. So he says, therefore, brethren, well, we know any time in the Bible it says, therefore, you can, it's connecting you to previous thought or teaching or illustration. And, and here in the previous part up there in Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul's telling about now that you're saved, the Holy Ghost lives within you. And now that you have no more condemnation before the Lord, you're saved. Now the Spirit of God is able to give you this victory. Therefore, because of all that's been done for us, 
because of the provision of the Holy Spirit to help us. Then he says, we are debtors. And that's the passion for victory. Man, I like that. We're debtors. Paul felt a great debt. Don't you feel that debt? I understand it's a debt we can't pay, but we sure ought to want to. And Paul never got over that day that when he got saved on the Damascus Road. That I mean, Paul, his testimony is such, he was a rascal. I mean, Paul, before he got saved, he, he so hated Christians, he went and got permission from the magistrates, got a letter so he could go drag Christians to be persecuted. And when the Lord saved Paul that day, he never got over it. Sad that we ever get over it. Sometimes it almost breaks my heart to think that the Lord put in the Bible, he said about the Lord's Supper, as oft as you would remember me. Remember my broken body, remember my shed blood, as oft as you would. I'm thinking to myself, are you kidding me? For those of us that have been forgiven such wretched sin in our hearts and lives, you sad to think we would ever forget it. But he said, as oft as you would, remember me. The Lord had to institute because he knows this old flesh constantly pulls us away from the things of God. He said, I'm a debtor. He said, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. We're debtors. It's a debt we can't repay. But we sure ought to have a desire to repay it. You know, I grew up in a preacher's home. Got saved as a young boy. To this day, I love preacher when you walk in and you hear the piano playing. It's precious to me. The old songs are precious to me. Church is precious to me. And you know, to this day, the thing that motivates my heart more than anything in life is to hear a message on Calvary and to think that him knowing everything about me still went to the, through the agonies of Calvary so I could be forgiven. Man, don't you feel a death? The apostle Paul, that day he got saved, he looked and he said, Lord, what must I, or he didn't say what must I do to be saved. He said, what wilt thou have me to do? Paul said, Lord, now that you're forgiven and saved me, what can I do for you? Don't you feel that debt? And Paul said there's a passion for this. I'm afraid a lot of Christians aren't having any victory. They have no passion in their heart for the Savior that saved them. Whatever happened, that passion to honor him. It's almost like we have that entitlement mentality. Well, why did God let this happen to me? Well, why did God not let you just die and go to hell? I mean, he saved us. He didn't have to do any of that. But he chose to love us and he chose. Can I tell you something? The Lord didn't choose to love you because you were so lovable. <laughs> Amen. He chose to love us because he's a perfect loving God and gave his son for us. There's a great passion of debt. So he says, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh. Not to the flesh. The flesh has never done anything for you but make your life miserable. The flesh has never done anything for you but, but lead you into a life of guilt and shame and emptiness and worthlessness. So why do we pamper the flesh? Why do we want to look, make sure everything's comfortable for the flesh and try to find pleasure for the flesh? These are, we're not debtors to the flesh. And notice the power for victory. 
And in verse 13 he says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. Well, we know that. Romans, 8, or Romans uh, um, 6, 28, 23, I'm sorry. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. And, and sin always leads to death. Not always physical death. But a person, even a saved person living in a sinful life, always there's death that comes. There's death to the joy, death to peace. There's, there's death to the blessings of God. It always robs you of the abundant life the Lord wants you to have. And so he goes on and he says, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, and there's the power for victory. Through the Spirit. Notice this with me tonight, folks. It's not through positive thinking. Through the Spirit. It's not through convincing yourself that you can do better. It's through the Spirit. It's not even through the character of the flesh. Because the flesh in itself can, can, can do nothing that's eter of eternal value. He said it's through the Spirit. I've heard for years preachers preach, boy, you need to get more character. You need to get more character. No, you know what we need? We need the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's the, the, the characteristics, the description of Christ. And that's what He wants in our life. We're here as ambassadors for Christ to live for Him, to represent the King of kings and Lord of lords. So it's through the Spirit. It's not through self-discipline. It's not through character of the flesh. It's through the Spirit of God producing fruit in our life. I'll give you an example. When I was pastoring in Louisiana, there was a couple in our church, Frank and Betty Lorch, and uh, just wonderful people. What a joy it was to pastor these folks. I pastored them for about nine years. And Frank was a guy that would be standing at the back when folks would come in. He'd greet people, just friendly, happy guy. I, I always loved Frank would come to me oftentimes and say, Preacher, I was studying this in my Bible this week, and can you help me to understand this passage? Just thrilled my heart. Betty was his wife. Betty, uh, Frank and Betty never missed soul winning. And they'd always come and Betty would carry with her, drag with her, her, her oxygen tank. Had oxygen up in her nose, you know, and she'd be carrying her oxygen tank. And they'd go out soul winning. Betty was a real matter-of-fact matter of fact kind of person. And she came to me one day, we knew her health was real bad. And she came to me one day, she said, Preach, I'd like to talk to you a few minutes. I said, sure. She said, I just want to sit down and plan out my funeral. I said, Okay. And she said, here's a list of the things I want. I want these songs sung. I, I, I want uh, this done. And, and, you know, and I said, okay, Betty. And she said, now, here's a list of all of my relatives that might come that are lost. And I want you to promise me you'll buttonhole them. I said, okay, Betty. Well, we're expecting Betty to die at any time. Frank ended up getting sick. Went into pneumonia. They put him in the hospital. It ended up septic. Got in his bloodstream. Frank went into a coma. In just a couple of days, Frank went to be with the Lord. A month later, Betty went to be with the Lord. But you know, I didn't know Frank's whole testimony. I'd been his pastor nine years, and man, he was fired up for the Lord and a happy Christian. And I didn't know his whole past. But at Frank's funeral, 
there was Betty, his wife, and there were three other previous wives. I'd never preached a funeral with four wives sitting there. <laughs> Isn't that a blessing? <laughs> I had no idea. But the truth is, Frank was a military guy. And Frank had a lot of discipline in, in many areas of his life, a lot of character in many areas of life. But before Frank got saved, he was an alcoholic and he'd be a, he was a fall-down drunk. And those other three wives just couldn't put up with it. I want to tell you, when Frank got saved, the Holy Spirit did what the discipline and character of his own flesh could not do. And Frank got victory, and his, those other three ex-wives, they had such respect for how God transformed his life, they were there at his funeral. It's not about the disciplined character. Of the, well, I just didn't grow up being taught disciplined character. Well, you can get it from the Spirit of God. He can produce fruit in anybody who's brethren. So we've got to throw out all the excuses. Well, I didn't grow up this way, and I would die, and then throw out all of that junk, folks. All of us can live victoriously if you're one of the brethren. It's through the power of the Spirit of God. You know, everywhere you find the Holy Spirit mentioned, you'll find a context of power. You remember old Simon Sorcerer in, in the book of Acts. He wanted to buy that power. Peter rebuked him for it. See, our problem is not a lack of power. Our problem is a lack of appropriation. Look over there at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 with me. Verse 3 says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The problem's not a lack of power. It's a lack of appropriation. The power is available. If you're saved, the Spirit of God lives within you. The power is available. It's a lack of appropriation. Listen to me. I mean, it, at our football camp, we have stacks of decisions. Preacher will tell you. Of young men growing up in Christian homes who come forward weeping, brokenhearted because they've gotten addicted to pornography on their stupid phones. But I will tell you, that's not just young men having that problem. It's become the drug of choice in the independent Baptist circles. And it's all over the country. And, you know, we'll amen about that kind of sin that we'll mention. But I will tell you, we, we have others that are struggling with sorry attitudes, unforgiveness and bitterness in their hearts, gossip about one another. I mean, there's more harm done to churches across America by this wicked tongue than there is by, by drugs. We can have victory over that. We've got, we've got kids that go home and, and, and get home from church and hear mom and dad yelling and, and, and call each other names like a bunch of junior high kids. That gets a little quiet. 
I was preaching in the St. Louis area and I preached on Saturday morning to a group of teenagers. I love teenagers because they're crazy people. And I was preaching to the teenagers and I was preaching about honoring your father and mother. I noticed while I was preaching there was a beautiful little blonde haired girl about 16, 17 years of age. She was sitting there and I mean immediately she just began to have tears flowing. Through the whole message she just wept. And at the end of it, I was standing there and some teenagers come up, were talking to me and that kind of thing. I saw her out of the corner of my eye standing over here. And she stood there for a little while and finally after talking with the kids for a little bit, I stepped over and I said, did you need something? She said, she's still sobbing. She said, Brother Booth, is there any way I could just talk to you a few minutes? I said, that'd be fine. It was in a church fellowship hall where they have the curtains that draw, you know, and I want to be careful and be appropriate. So, so I said, we could just step right in here and it's still, you know, open to everybody, but we could be, have a little privacy. And we sat there and, and I said, what can I do for you? She's still sobbing. She said, Brother Booth, she said, you know, my parents, I grew up in this church. Everybody knows my mom and dad were very faithful to everything. We don't miss Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Sunday school. We don't miss revival meetings. We don't miss anything. I go to all the camps, everything. Brother Booth, it's been that way all of my life. She said, but listen, Brother Booth, I don't know how. I know I'm supposed to honor my father and mother, but can you tell me how? She said, from the time we get out of the church parking lot, they begin to scream and holler at each other. She said, at home, sometimes I get home from school, I go to my room, I just shut my door and lock it, I put a pillow over my head, and I just scream out and say, please stop it. Faithful people in the church. That kind of stuff is going on everywhere. Can I tell you why? Because we walk in the flesh. Well, you don't know what she said to me. Do you know what you've done to the Lord Jesus Christ? We walk in the flesh. It's all about us. All about our feelings. I got my rights. Let me tell you something. When you got saved, you were bought with a price. The only right you have is the right to do right. But it can't, can't have the victory without the power of the Spirit of God. Well, let me give you the pattern for victory. How do we do this? Well, he said we're debtors. We owe the flesh nothing. We're not debtors to the flesh. So he goes on to say, For if you live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Mortify the deeds of the body. If the word mortify means kill. Kill them. Kill the deeds of the body. The actions, the attitudes, the motives, mortify. Kill them. Look over at Colossians chapter 3 with me. In verse 1 he says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. You see, the problem is we don't kill things we love. And some of us love our sin too much. We don't want it to be dead. And he goes on to say, 
in verse 5, there's that word again, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now notice the list it, it mentions. We won't have time to go through every single one of them. But notice in verse 5, the members which are upon the earth, fornication, that's just a category of immorality. Uncleanness, that's ungodly thinking. Inordinate affection, wicked desires, evil concupiscence. And then it says in covetousness. Isn't that interesting? And covetousness, covetousness, which is idolatry. You know, we think that covetousness is, boy, I'd sure like to have that neighbor's house. Or I'd sure like to have that Mercedes. And that can be covetousness. But covetousness is far more than that. Covetousness, covetousness is simply desiring to have what God says no to. All these other things listed are because we desire to have things that God says no to. See, that's the problem with, with sometimes that standards get people all worked on. They say, well, you know, standards cause people to get upset. And No, what causes people to be upset is they want things that God says no to. And he says, which is idolatry. Well, we don't carve out a piece of wood and worship it. We don't set up some statue and fall down before it. No. See, idolatry is putting anything above God. And the problem is we put ourselves above God. And we want to please self rather than God. And covetousness, which is idolatry. It all comes down to that, doesn't it? Paul said we've got to mortify those things. Those are deeds of the flesh. Those are attitudes of the flesh. Those are, are motives of the flesh. Psalm 97 and verse 10, it says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. I don't know why the preacher gets all worked up about these things, you know. Boy, why is it, you know, you know why? Because when you love the Lord, you hate evil. You see it ruining people's lives. You see what destruction the old devil does. And understand, folks, that the, the Satan is called the God of this world. Now he's not talking about the people of the world. He's talking about the world system. So the devil has designed this world system to appeal to that wicked flesh. That flesh that always is sold under sin. You know, when you got saved, your flesh didn't get saved. It's still wicked. Still wants to do wrong. Still fights you all of your life. That's what Paul testified to. You know, we think, Boy, if, if we just had a Christian president that was godly, oh, things would be so much better. If we just had, you know, a governor that was godly. If I just had a boss and he had a godly, wonderful Christian company to work for. Folks, it wouldn't matter. Your flesh is still wicked. And the proof of that is in the millennial period when there will be those who are born during the tribulation time who will go into the millennium. And for those thousand years when there will be a perfect environment. Lamb and lion will lay down together. But at the end of it, the old devil's going to round up a bunch of rebels. Where do you find them? Those that are in the flesh. You've still got a wicked old flesh. Doesn't matter how perfect the environment. The problem is our flesh. So Paul said we have to mortify the deeds of the body. Over in Romans chapter 7. Paul gives his transparent testimony the 
the first part of that chapter in chapter 7 is an interesting passage and it talks about we won't take time to read it all but you could read it later if you want but it talks about you know that, that when somebody's married and their spouse dies you're no longer by law bound to that spouse you're free to marry another now a lot of preachers use the passage to teach about marriage and divorce remarriage and and that's fine but but that's not the real context of it. The primary context of it is what Paul's talking about in chapter 7 and chapter 8. And he's using that as an illustration. And he goes on to say, now you're married to another. You're married to Christ. You got saved. You were married to Christ. He said, so a, a person who loses a loved one. Listen, my wife and I celebrated 40 years this year of marriage. God bless her. Got a lot of grace. But you know, as much as I love my dear wife, if she was to go be with the Lord, sure, there'd be mourning and grieving, but folks, I wouldn't take her dead body and carry it around with me the rest of my life. Nobody does that. And Paul uses that illustration and said, when it's dead, you're not bound to it anymore. You don't have to serve it anymore. It's gone. You're married to Christ now. As a Christian, Put to death. Mortify the deeds of the body. Leave that old flesh. Don't feed it. Feed the spirit. So how? Well, let me give you a few things real quick and I'm done. First of all, get honest about your battle. You've got to get honest. You've got to face the battle. Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am. It's a fierce battle. It's a wicked battle. Next, you've got to yield to the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is success, but be filled. I love the term. I love that King James term. Filled with the Spirit. Filled up. No more room left. Filled. Consumed with. No room for anything else. Filled with the Spirit. Saturated. And then you've got to be filled with the Word of God. And let me make the connection. Go back again to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And look at verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God by the, uh, and the Father by Him. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Doesn't that sound familiar? It's the same terminology used in Ephesians 5 when it talks about being filled with the Spirit and singing to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. On it goes. Because it, it's the same thing. You see, the Holy Spirit is the one that inspired this book. And the way to be filled with the Spirit is to get filled with the book. And let the Spirit of God take those truths from the book to give you victory. You, 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 you kill the deeds. of You don't make room. Paul said in Romans, uh, uh, is it Romans 10, I think, um, where Paul says, uh, make... Uh, 
Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust thereof. Put you on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust thereof. Make no provision. I don't think you need to have all these rules and regulations. Oh, come on. You're kidding yourself. You're listening to a bunch of TV preachers. That's not Bible truth. Whoever has any kind of relationship without some rules and responsibility. Try that in your marriage, see how it works. No, don't try it. Could shorten your life. No, any relationship has rules and it has responsibilities. It's no different than our relationship with the Lord. So you make some, some standards. You set up some barriers. You make no provision. Well, how do we know what pleases the Lord? You saturate yourself with the Word of God. Listen to me, folks. Independent Baptists are Bible ignorant. Can I tell you something? I won't get into it because I still got to get my love offering. But <laughs> listen to me tonight. Do you know the Bible defines what nakedness is? It's defined in the Scripture. Then leave it out. It's not to, well, whatever you feel about or whatever the culture says. It's defined in the Scripture. Now we need to make a big deal about how, how people dress and that kind of... Well, Paul said when he talked to Timothy about behaving yourself in the house of God, he brings up the matter of modesty to women. It must be important. Can yeah. I tell you, if it's in the book, it's, not, it's all essential? It's kind of junk. Well, we don't have to fight over non-essentials. If it's spelled out in Scripture, it's essential. But we need to saturate our minds with the Word of God. In Psalm 119, 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Thy word have I hid in my what? Heart. Not in the head. You can have it all up here. And it does nothing for you. It's thy word of us hid in my heart. So when we saturate our minds with Scripture and we yield ourselves to be under the control of the Spirit of God, we're putting to death the deeds of the body. And then we're to obey what we learn. First Peter 1.22 says, Seeing ye have purified yourselves in obeying the truth through the Spirit. Obey what you learn. Can I ask you tonight, what is it that you've already learned from the Word of God? That you're not doing. What is it that you've already learned from the word of God. That you ought to stop doing and you keep on doing. We have to say okay. God shows me it's settled. I can't explain how tithing works. I just know God says to do it. And he'll bless it. And so you just obey the scriptures. If the Bible said I was supposed to preach in pink tennis shoes. Thank God it doesn't say that. But if it did, it's not my choice anymore. It's about what does the Word of God say. Folks, the preacher's not the final authority. The church isn't the final authority. This book's the final authority. But you've got to get in the book to find out what it says. You will not grow by information. You'll only grow by application. You could take the best athlete in the world, has the greatest talent. 
And he can have one coach after another say, man, you'll be better if you do this. You'll be better if you do. He can learn all the right technique. It doesn't do him a bit of good until he puts it to practice. You can, you can go to most YMCA's and you can find some incredible basketball players. Why aren't they playing in the NBA? Because they wouldn't listen to anybody. They weren't coachable. And can I tell you something? I don't care who's, if you had Jesus as your pastor. He couldn't help you if you're not pastorable. You're not teachable. And folks, it's high time. I don't know what's going to happen in this country. It doesn't matter. Do you know most most nations in, uh, or most Christians in history have had to live under oppressive governments? The great majority have. And if that ends up for America, we can still live in victory as a Christian. But you're going to have to get in the Word of God for yourself. Study to show thyself approved. The word study means to bend over and peer into like somebody looking at a microscope, seeing all the different little parts of it. That's what we're to do as Christians. You can read, read, read and go in one ear and out the other. Study. Meditate, it says. And then your profiting will appear. It's available to anybody who's a brethren. But it's only through the Spirit, not through the power of your thinking, not through the power of your flesh. But we have to mortify the deeds of the body. And we have to get in the Word of God and yield ourselves to the Spirit of God and say, okay, as I fill my mind with this book, Holy Spirit, use it in every decision of my life that I might walk in victory for Thee. So I'm asking you tonight, how's the battle going in the Christian life? If you're saved, you're in the battle. How's it going? You on the winning side? I mean, is, are you living like you're on the winning side? You got the victory over the attitudes. You got the victory over, over the temptations. You got victory over the actions and the motives. How's your zeal for the Lord tonight? Is this book precious to you? The psalmist said, more to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than the honey in the honeycomb. Is that book sweet to you? Is your most exciting part of your day getting up early in the morning and saying okay now it's me and you Lord teach me show me let's bow our heads for prayer Father we love